0: Network.org.
1: Welcome again to the Daily Duff Differently. My name is David Wise I'm the rabbi in Hollis Hills, Queens and I get to guide us through the final Duff of the first chapter of Masechet Yoma, page 21 Duff Kaf Aleph this is a pretty fun daf, whose primary topic is miracles, namely, miracles that happened in the temple. The trigger to this conversation is a statement by Rav Yehuda in the name of Rav. Bishaashi Israel olin Laregel, omdin etzufufin, umishtachavim revachim. As the Gemara explains, even though the sheer mass of humanity that came up to Jerusalem on the pilgrimage festivals and on Yom Kippur took up every nook and cranny of the temple, even extending 11 cubits behind the back wall of Chodesh HaKodashim, the Holy of Holies. And when they stood vertically, they were packed like sardines. When it came time for prostration, there was plenty of room for all these horizontal bodies. That would be, by the laws of geometry, quite miraculous that reminds the Gemara of the teaching in Avot, chapter 2, Mishnah 5, where the same phenomenon is listed as one of 10, countum 10, miracles that happened on special occasions in the temple. The Mishnah's list is incredible. The smell of sacred meat never caused a pregnant woman to miscarry. All that meat, but none of it ever spoiled. The butchery attracted nary a fly... The high priest never had a nocturnal emission the night before he was to enter the inner sanctum on Yom Kippur. Sacred foodstuffs were never damaged or spoiled. Snakes and scorpions caused no damage in this desert city. And despite the enormous influx of pilgrims, the Jerusalem tourism industry never let anyone feel underserved. The rest of the daf deals with the accuracy of the list, suggesting that there were other miracles that go unmentioned in the Mishnah, or suggesting that some of the temple miracles could be combined so as to leave us with ten, a perfect number in rabbinic thought. Three points in this otherwise nitpicky discussion deserve further comment. Number one. The Gemara on Amud Bet suggests that the list of miracles should include the Temple's trees of golden delights, that were perfectly fruitful when the Jews were sovereign, and conveniently dry when the Temple's sacred space was violated by foreign conquerors. That's a miracle. It should be on the list. In response, the Gemara says, "Nisei dekvii la ka hashiv." Permanent miracles weren't listed. Now this is a curious statement about miracles, and with Hanukkah in the air, I just want to put this thought out there. Are there permanent miracles that we experience, and if so, do we notice them? On Hanukkah, as well as on Purim and Yom Ha'atzma'ut, we add the passage Al Hanisim to the Thanksgiving blessing of our daily Amidah, noting the extraordinary events that are marked by these holidays. But every other day, in that same blessing of thanksgiving, Modim, we express gratitude, Al Niseha Shebekho Yomimanu, for your miracles that are with us every day. Can we be mindful of permanent miracles, and can we retain a sense of wonder and amazement as a matter of routine, or is that an oxymoron? A second issue that I'd like to raise appears a bit further down on Amud Bet, where we are reminded that the second temple was missing five key components that had been in the first one: Aron vechaporet uchruvim, Eish Vruach Hakodesh v'urim the Ark and its curtain, the chair and cherubs, fire the Divine Sacred Presence, the Spirit of Holiness, and the Urim and Tumim, the priestly Ouija board, to tell the future. Well, we know from biblical sources that the first temple dwarfed its successor. But what was the impact of this knowledge on the rabbis, who at least on the surface longed for a third temple? At least they said they did. Did they imagine that when they got to rebuild, they would do so in Solomonic style, or did they feel they'd be lucky to achieve second temple proportions? And for all they're reminiscing about the temple, did they really want it to be restored? Is the fact that Tractate Yoma deals with a temple-centered Yom Kippur just rabbinic nostalgia, or are the rabbis dreaming for their worldview to dominate the role of the priests with or without a temple? What do you think? Finally, at the very end of the page and of the parak, the chapter, the Gemara expands on one of the other temple miracles that they thought might be listed, that the smoke from the altar was virtually unaffected by wind. The smoke clouds may have looked slightly askew, maybe diagonal, but never was the smoke blown into scattered oblivion. To challenge this assertion, the Gemara notes that various directional winds have different effects, some more beneficial than others. In the final analysis, the Bavli, centered as it is on its own meteorological concerns, acknowledges that what's good for them isn't necessarily good for Eretz Yisrael. An easterly wind, while beneficial in a topography with plenty of water, such as Babylonia, isn't much of a boon to the land of Israel, since it tends to be very dry when the easterly wind blows. In Israel, a westerly wind that blows in off the Mediterranean is much more appreciated. The term ha lan ve-ha-le-ho, reconciling contradictory teachings, by saying that one applies to us and the other to them, is one of the ways that the Bavli acknowledges distinctive Jewish communities. In what ways would it be healthy for today's diaspora Jewish communities to affirm halan the ho that our needs and Israel's aren't always the same. That takes us to the end of Yoma Kaf Aleph, and the first chapter of the tractate Hadran Alach Perak Shivat Yamim. We hope to return to this chapter
0: sometime in the future. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros. From the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.